Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, the next podcast here at Treknababble. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And uh, we're, uh, after a uh, unfortunate delay, um, ready to podcast uh, Call to Arms, the Season 5 finale. Um, season five's had some ups and downs. Um, it's. I'm glad we're at the end, because I have a lot of thoughts about it, and I'm glad we're going to get to discuss them. Um, it ends on a high note, I think. Uh, you know, we liked last week's... Uh, in the cards a lot and uh i think th- this episode i remember when i watched it the first time like my jaw was on the floor by by the end i was like sufficiently shocked by what they were doing so i'm i'm looking forward to watching this one now a little more critically yeah i mean i think uh i think we'll see that the second half of this episode is pretty solidly better than the first half um and I, I definitely agree with, you know, like narrative momentum and like, you know, being excited by things. It's certainly an exciting season finale and more exciting than some prior season finales in DS9. Uh, you know, just before we start, you know, one thing I do really like is that in the cards sort of led into it in a way even though the the putative a plot of in the cards was you know this sort of uh, tracking down a piece of memorabilia the b plot was basically all set up and so a lot of the stuff in this episode feels really organic and, and makes a lot of sense right it's not like right? the dominion threat came out of nowhere in this episode like oh the dominion are still here and they're a threat it was it was like a uh like a teeing up a ball before you hit it yeah i i mean i think there are speaking of season five i think there are you know four or five or six or nine or ten episodes that could have been cut you know like i i feel like they were scripts that were left from before uh who is it is it robert hewitt wolf and renee echeverria Hmm. you know before they sort of took the reins uh but anyhow, uh, I, I at the very least like what the lead-in within the cards. Uh, so why don't we get started? I hope we're all queued up. Yep. So let's get ready to start our various pieces of media. We will start on the count of three, two, one, press play. All right, so at the very outset, blah. Yeah, I, I, I don't share the dislike of this plot that you do, but I just don't. I certainly don't care about it. Um, well, that, that's the thing. It's like even if I didn't. Okay, I'm gonna say something that I can't take back here. Even if I didn't think Chase Masterson was a horrible actor, and I never wanted to see her on the screen again, even if I didn't think that, this plot is so pointless it's filler it it doesn't tie into any of the things that i care about it's two extremely peripheral characters and they're spending minute upon minute on this thing and it's just ah i just want to strangle somebody you know i mean i like the banter on the other half of this conversation garrick and uh Tarzi all are carrying their half of this fine and because that i actually care about like to some extent at least uh 
Um, they, they've spent a few episodes building up uh, Zial's attraction to Garrick, and it's an interesting idea, and Garrick's an interesting character. And well, he's yeah, yeah, Garrick is interesting in and of himself. They have done enough with Garrick, and the actor is good enough to make me want to know more about Garrick and to care whether, you know, he gets involved with somebody. But the same is not true for Rom and Lita. You know, to to be fair, you know, Max Grudenchik is somewhat better than Chase Masterson, but a lot of times he's given dumb things to say, you know? Yeah. I think the Rom character is going to uh, undergo something of a renaissance, you know, in the coming seasons. Yeah, but yeah. I don't care. I don't care now. I just, I don't care. And I'm also actively annoyed. Yeah, you know? I'll give you that. I mean, if nothing else, this just let in way too long. Like, even if I like this plot, we would probably be saying, and this has gone on about a full minute longer than it needed to. Well, you know, this is the teaser, right? And the upshot of the teaser is going to be the view through the window and, like, the 30 seconds of dialogue, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you have preferred the three minutes going into that to be substantive? to not be something completely unrelated. Well, it's also a bit of a gear shift, like especially with such a good job that uh, in the cards did balancing personal life management with the backdrop of the Dominion War. It's like, do they know a war's about to happen? They seem really chipper. Um, I one well, of the, or, or oblivious, yeah. Yeah, one of the things I liked about the way they built up the lead-in to the Dominion War, and I think it's the hand of uh, Ron Moore at work, is... The steps to war were staggered nicely. Um, I think for, for the sake of historical convenience, we tend to picture wars starting, you know, like it's it's the assassination of the Archduke, not the dozen tiny things that set the stage for that to be the, the spark. I think they handled it very well that it wasn't just like a monolithic attack that precipitated the war. It was a dozen small things that led everyone and everyone had to take steps. Like the Federation. Yeah, about- I like what they did with Cardassia. I like what they did with the Klingons. Yeah, and yeah. when you get down to it, like a, a, I like the Federation because I want to live in the Federation, but I think a, a neutral historian in 500 years could very easily credibly write the sentence. The Federation provoked the war. And that's not, that's not a moral judgment. And I think Cisco makes his case that if they don't have the fight now on their terms, they're going to have the fight later on the Dominion's terms and lose. That's a valid, and that, that's a complicated argument. That's, that, that's the layering on of things to Roddenberry's worldview that I found so interesting in Deep Space Nine. Yeah. It's like they're doing something kind of wrong in order to, you know. Spare a bigger one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, going back to the buildup, you know, something I would have really liked to have seen in some of the season five episodes that I'm just kind of like, this episode totally could have been in season two and I wouldn't bat an eyelash, you know? I would have liked to have seen more, uh, more Dominion stories. Uh, and I don't mean stories focusing entirely on the Dominion. I mean stories where, like, We've gotten a few mentions of the Dominion like running roughshod over this planet or that planet or punishing them or something. I want to see the Dominion being a valid and useful choice for a particular race. You know, yeah. I want to see the Dominion and the Federation compete 
for someone's allegiance and the Federation to lose for good reasons. You know, I, I would have, I don't know how many episodes, I don't know what stories, but it, yeah. Well, like, I um, wanted to see something where that happened to make it more complex. Yeah, so something like uh, the, the little snippets of dialogue we got in the search where the Karma were like, oh, we don't even know if the founders exist. The Vorta shows up, says, here's what I want, and leaves. Like, the sense that they are omnipresent but invisible and otherwise leave day-to-day operations to the subjugated world, that's a very, like, Byzantine, uh, Ottoman management style. And that would be cool to see in comparison to the bureaucratic hegemon that is the Federation. Like, could yeah. like you get the sense that despite the Dominion's pervasive military presence, they're not interested in like a unifying cultural ethos, you know? So all those all those worlds that reject Federation membership because they don't want to be absorbed into this great big thing might find something of value in the Dominion. It's all of the, you know, tech upgrades and defense upgrades with none of the sense that there's a culture you're joining so that that could have been a fun episode well yeah and you know i i feel like the dominion in some ways could be seen as a a soviet analog uh in as much as the soviet union was this sort of expansionistic uh you know dominant force but there were reasons for some countries to prefer soviet you could call it rule, you could call it leadership, you could call it assistance, you know. Uh, and maybe they got more than they bargained for, but they thought it was the right choice at the time, you know. And there were things that the Soviet Union was getting out of its relationships with other countries. Uh, okay, so we just, we missed it a little bit, and we got to get to this soon, but uh, they're also introducing this Jake as journalist thing. Which I just, speaking of things I never cared about. <laughs> Well, I I feel like this episode is doing a lot of setup work, you know? It's like they're setting up things that are going to pay off in the next 10 or 12 episodes of season six. Uh, and to some degree, it's a bit transparent. Maybe it's only transparent upon review. Yeah. Um, okay, so back to story threads that just make me, you know, kind of throw up in my mouth a little bit. All right, here's the thing. I don't blame this episode for how they eventually resolve the Kira Odo story. I think I actually liked this conversation because one of the things I hate, even in non-serialized television, is when an epic event goes unremarked on in 24 hours. Much like Family was a necessary follow-up to Best of Both Worlds, I really think the two of them being weird around each other is a necessary follow-up to Children of Time. I'm not saying they should get together. I do like that. I agree. Yeah. In terms of continuity with prior stories. Yeah. So like happy judging that. the episode as episode just for today, I think it was a fine scene. And they only revisit it at one point in which Odo was actually, well, you know, we'll get there. But Odo was like empathically aware. He was like, here's what, here's where our priorities need to be. So me mooning over here is a bad idea. Great. If only the writers had shown that much emotional awareness. Um. Yeah, I don't love that scene that you're talking about. We'll get to it. Um, I like the scene with Nog. I like any scene where Nog's Ferenkiness is an asset. It makes me happy. because. Well, yeah, he keeps his ear to the ground, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I like it because it, it shows... You know, we've, we've talked about this before, like much as with Rom, there's something really nice to see the Federation's multiculturalism in action as opposed to just on paper. 
here's the pro- here's uh, what I would have liked. Uh, the Romulan non-aggression pact is a is a good idea, and I'm glad they brought it up because I think had they not mentioned the Romulans the whole time, I would have been asking, what about the Romulans? I would have liked some scene, like maybe that teaser could have been them watching the Senate debate on whatever the Federation equivalent of C-SPAN is or something, you know, like like an actual little snippet of Romulus would have been very well received. Oh, yeah. Or even if it were like spy footage or something. Yeah. Yeah, I could totally see that. That, I mean, I would have liked to see in the prior season when, you know, they introduced this Romulan threat. Right. It's like, oh, we're working with the Romulans to deal with the founder threat. You know, I would have liked to see their working relationship with the Romulans over two or three instances progressively get worse, you know, to sour over time, you know, and then suddenly the Romulans pull out and they're like, dude, what the fuck? You know, what was that all about? I thought we were on the same side. And then you pay it off with this. Yeah. With the Romulan non-aggression pact. All right, I've got a serious problem with this idea. It violates the conservation of matter and energy in the universe? Well, before we even get to that, which, you know, is absolutely one of my big problems, just the idea of mining the wormhole, you know, it's, uh, it seems to me to have it be effective at all, the mines would have to be so close to the aperture of the wormhole that, it should that they'd basically be in the wormhole and they'd get sucked in, you know? See, you're talking about like 200 feet. Yeah, that could have been like, feet. had they had the effects budget, mining the inside of the wormhole could have been an awesome episode because you know the Kai would probably not go for that. Yeah. But so the, okay. the, 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 the <laughs> practical... problem with this scene yeah. is how much of it gets wasted on Rom. <sighs> well, also, here's what bothers me about... There's a few sitcom tropes that, you know, hell, when Lucy and Ricky Ricardo did them, they were new and they were expertly executed by masters. After that, they just get boring, like bumbling husband, does it? Like, it just, it, 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 like you know what I mean? Where there, there, There's all these, like, sitcom cliches surrounding yeah, the romance. before the marriage. Yeah, yeah weddings, absolutely. births, children, sexual politics of any kind, really. That just make me want to gag. So, back to the violation of any concept of conservation. Now, of I would have, I, I would have liked some acknowledgement of the problem because Star Trek's gotten a long way with me with things like the Heisenberg compensator. If you just yeah. said, hang that, a lampshade on it, right? Had, had you just said they're solar powered and will convert a sufficient amount of energy to matter to infinitely replicate. Um, the mines, or an acknowledgement of the other problem, what if we can't turn them all off? What if they replicate without end? What if something goes wrong in our setup and we end up with like this... Oh, like a gray goo kind of problem. Yeah. That would be fascinating. Yeah, like, yeah, and every other time, and even some of the morality of it would have been fun, because every other time mines have come up, they've been super bad. Super, super bad. Well, yeah, I mean, they're using mines, and yeah, that the general opinion on earth today is that mines are fucking horrible, <laughs> you know? So yeah, it, it would, it's a missed opportunity to address, to at least have some, some hand wringing, you know, a little bit of debate, a little bit of, uh, you know, gravitas. So yeah, I mean, come on. I, I get that replicators are a bit of a fuzzy technology, 
that sometimes serve the plot, but this is going too far. This is like saying you could replicate a starship. Or like replicate a replicator. In the replicator on the starship. Right. Like, you know? It's like including the antimatter and you know, all the energy that went into the replicator gets replicated. You know? It's like, well then it's just magic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This scene. <sighs> Like, I like how she's playing it as uncomfortable. What I don't like is the implication that somehow she's not horrified by his affections. You know, it. I feel like this is a very male-centric scene. Yeah. Written by males for males. Because this is all about how he feels, you know. And he feels this way, and he just wants her to know that she doesn't have to worry about him expressing his feelings. And this makes her happy. You know, you know? I'm going to say this. There was an obvious, there was an easy and obvious solution, and I don't know if we talked about it in Children of Time, but uh, I remember reading that when the writers wrote uh, A Simple Investigation, the one where Odo uh, bangs that totally hot chick, um, that that was their internal acknowledgement that he had moved on from Kira. I can accept that episode holding that purpose without modifying the events of Children of Time at all. I believe that Odo has such care for her as a friend, if only a friend, that he would have done the same things. Like, Jordy might could reasonably have eliminated a society from time for Data's well-being. Could totally see that. Like, they they resurrected the romance plot completely unnecessarily yeah yeah i just I, okay he was willing to die yeah for those eight thousand people you know and she knows that some version of odo essentially destroyed those lives for her yeah i i just don't see how she could possibly be that okay yeah sexually aroused yeah after that okay now we're on to the good stuff one of the best scenes possibly in all of deep space nine just yeah i agree with that yeah it's just there's just layers and these kinds of see like we've criticized avery brooks acting choices before but i think these kinds of scenes are where he really shines where where he covers his natural bombast under a like restrained layer that tends to be when his te- his instincts serve him the best. So when they're just speaking very quietly at each other, it's very intense. Just uh, yeah, yeah. Like no one's shouting, and I'm I'm gripped. I'm I'm gripping my chair. Yeah, I agree. And you know the dialogue is quite good. Um, you know, it's doing a lot for the plot. Yeah, because it's it's advancing the plot in an expository way, but not in a way that feels inorganic. You know, this feels like the real conversation that two leaders might have, you know, at this juncture. Yeah. Uh, and now, of course, Wayun is slipping back into a sort of, you know, smarmy used car salesman kind of thing. Yeah. But we, we learn that Cisco is taking this to be, you know, it's like he's already decided it's going to happen. And now he's just trying to, you know, soft pedal. Uh, to gain whatever he can gain out of placating him. 
But of course, many of these things are probably at least half true. Right, right. You know, the Cardassians probably are jittery. They probably are worried about the Klingons and the Federation. They probably do want military buildup. And so there's a lot of great resonance here. You know, this is totally the Soviet Union arming Cuba. Yeah. Because Cuba is fearful of an invasion by the United States. You know, and so whether or not you think it's acceptable for Cuba to be armed by the Soviet Union, you can at least concede the logic, you know? Well, I was about to say, something I always wanted to see in the Federation was a pacifist movement. I really want to see, I would love to have seen the politics. Like, you're right, Weyoun's explanation is facially credible, if not a little overly convenient. Like, are there people in the Federation hierarchy who would be willing to accept that at face value and think going to war is either bad or illegal or immoral? Like, I would have liked yeah. to have seen more. Give dis- us a Neville Chamberlain. Give us an appeaser. You know, there's oh God, there's totally should have been an appeasement episode. Uh, right? Be careful what you wish for. There was an appeasement episode in Babylon 5 and it was one of the worst hours of my life. He literally said peace in our time. Literally. <laughs> well, OK, done well. <laughs> I think there's a great opportunity. No, I for agree. I, I, I agree. Like, if nothing else, wouldn't that be the Federation ethos? Isn't Cisco kind of yeah. going against the grain? Like, that would have yeah. been a fun thing to watch. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, and they've done. They had Homefront and Paradise Lost, you know, with it's like differing viewpoints within the Federation. One of my problems with at least the buildup to the Dominion War is that we've seen almost none of the Federation. Yeah. All we've seen is Cisco and Deep Space Nine. And that just baffles me. You know, it baffles me that you could have at least the idea of, you know, a civilization that's a trillion people strong, you know, moving into your territory and not shore up the defenses, you know, not send a fleet, not have a freaking conversation on camera yeah. in which people discuss these issues. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, you're on your own, Ben. <laughs> you and the one entry point to the quadrant, you know. They eventually get to the idea of collapsing the wormhole, but... Well, no, they did that, they did that in, um, earlier in the season. Which yeah. and and they can conveniently no longer do it. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Now it's stronger than ever. Whatever the hell that means. It has you know, since so Bashir the, asked the obvious question: Can they send ships? At least they Not asked. Our... At least they they discussed it. I mean, it doesn't. Well, and you know, later in later in this episode, they're going to try to make it so that that isn't as stupid as it sounds. You know, it's as stupid it as it sounds. There is no yeah. reason that you would think destroying any Dominion start uh, shipyard would be worth cutting off their ability to come into your space. That is just that. I'm sorry. That that's like Turkey deciding that Cyprus that attacking Cyprus was worth losing the Bosphorus. Like that's just absurd. Like, <laughs> like it's a choke point. Th- there is just no. Mil- I think this this moment is where the episode starts getting really interesting. Oh, yeah, because... The the Cisco and Weyoun scene was really good, but now it's like, oh, wow. And now their shit's really getting real now. Like, stuff's really happening. Because the the Cisco-Weyoun scene was really just something you knew had to happen for the plot to advance, whereas this is a 
an interesting wrinkle, you know? Well, I like the way the Dominion War arc manages to loop in what was uh, what were otherwise just orphaned threads. Um, like, looping in, like, like Cisco kept Bajor out of the Federation for exactly this eventuality. Yeah. And so, yeah, I like... Uh... One, so one of my beefs with this episode is that so many interesting things were put on the back burner for two or three sort of side plots, essentially romance plots. It's like there are three romantic side plots in this episode. That is too many romantic side plots for one episode. <laughs> wait, what's one the, wait. I can handle. Wait. And if I had to have one, this would be the one. Wait, Garrick you know? and Zial, um, Ram and Lita, who's the third? Kira Odo. Oh, yeah, that's... That's a plot. I, I, I'm 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 choosing not to call it romantic yet, but I, I get what you it's mean. About, it's about no. I I, I, I take your I I I, I I I I yeah. I mean seriously, you've got forty five minutes to work with, and you know it's six or seven of those minutes. That that's a lot of minutes out of forty five. You know. Uh, so. I, I can deal with this plot because of Garrick, because his dialogue is good and the acting is good. You know, the same cannot be said, you know, for Ram and Lita. And at the very least, I, I'm not a big fan of the dialogue for Kira Odo, although the actors are fine. Yeah. Although the actors don't seem like they want to do these lines. That's because you know? they don't. Uh, I hate and this. God. Ugh. Fake Bajoran. Like, uh, Mark Orkan has done some good work, and people not Mark Orkan have done some bad work. Like, Klingon sounds fine. It sounds like an aggressive form of Hebrew. Um, other languages work out great. Um, Bajoran always just sound like they literally told him, just make up some syllables. Like, I've, I've yeah. never heard spoken Bajoran sound like an actual language. Yeah, I agree, absolutely. And it's really typified everything after Klingon. Uh, they haven't come up with the language and the unfortunate thing with enterprise is that they say, well, this is before the age of, you know, universal translators. And so fine. Okay. That means, I guess we have Hoshi, you know, speaking alien languages, you know, in 10 or 12 or 15 different episodes. And so you have 15 identical sounding alien languages, you know, and they sound like, you know, something that a, overly enthusiastic LARPer would come up with, you know? Yeah. That is some outfit on that Dabo girl. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. And so it's like this scene. Yeah, this could have been cut. Well, it, it's like, it makes it clear what the writers thought they were going for. It's like, Oh, the, the young love and it's being rent apart by, you know, the, the, the winds of, fate and destiny and politics and but the problem with that is if you don't care about the love story yeah it's just annoying. i mean i really would have rather seen a scene of and correct me if i'm wrong if there is one but like cisco like forcing cassidy to leave the station or something which like like that, well, that would... might happen in the future but i don't think it's happened to this point yeah like like, uh, like some moment where he's like i am ordering you out of this war zone and i will like 
use your ship's command codes to make... Oh, wait, is she still in... Uh... No, she's not still in prison. She got no, out she's of out of prison. Yeah. She came back for his uh, religious thing. Yeah, but I'm just rapture. saying, like, you could see a great scene where he, like, beams her off the station onto her ship or something. Like, like, like just makes her leave because he could not do his job if he had to worry yeah. about her safety. And that would have been a wrenching scene because the actors have chemistry and the actors are really good. I love Penny Johnson to bits. Ah. Uh, I thought this was a scene with Ducat. Oh, no, that's later. Um... No, Ducat's coming right, right up. Oh, that's right. I, I thought there was going to be a conversation in his room, in in his office, but I think that's a different, uh, that's a different episode. And so Casey Biggs is being reintroduced here. Yeah. Um. To, to the rest of the world who wasn't there with us, uh, we saw, uh, Mark Limo, Jeffrey Combs. Um, Casey, Biggs. Casey Biggs, uh, Armin Shimmerman at a, at the last convention we went to, and uh, they told him uh, they told Casey Biggs that you're going to have a big part, but that he didn't have it in this episode. So he did all this prep work and was acting like he was a you know major character, even though he only had like two lines and two close ups. Um, I'm glad they did bring him back. He is a very good actor. Apparently, he he teaches it uh, professionally, and I can easily see why. Um, he'll have some fun stuff to do. Well, there are no small roles, right? Only yeah. small actors. And I he he definitely he has presence, you know. And so the back half of this plot, the tension, you know, the sort of the the immediate tension is this like mine plot. It's like can we lay the mines fast enough? I mean the answer is yes, but I mean it's more effective than other artificial tension plots. There's no countdown. Yeah. It's just, you know, it is what it is. It's not great. So it's like, I like this episode. I I really like the second half. And I think it's because the first half is weighed down with, you know, fluff, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, but really, it's more cool because the big thing is finally happening. Not yeah. because of any particular choice that they make in this episode. Although some of the choices are quite good. You know, the evacuation of the station, you know, I love this scene yeah. between Odo and Garrick. I use that line all the time, island of tranquility in a sea of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is this the, oh, I lo yeah, I love this, uh, this piece of dialogue. That's definitely the line of the episode. So basically, you know, Garrick relates how, you know, during the fight against the Klingons, he had the chance to shoot Dukat in the back. And Odo says, you'd shoot a man in the back? And he says, well, it's the easiest way, isn't it? Or the safest way, isn't it? That's one of those... And he delivers it... So He doesn't make it a laugh line. Yeah. He makes it as if it were just something he would say, which makes it funnier and cooler and more interesting. And, and creepier, yeah. Like, it's... In a lesser actor, it would have been way overdone. You know, he didn't say it with a wink, you know? There was no, there was no tongue-in-cheek. I, I gotta say, Cork was kind of 
sidelined in this episode. Which I understand. I mean, you yeah, can only focus yeah. on so many things. But again, you know, this just raises the question of, you know, maybe if they had chopped two of these inane romantic subplots, uh, they'd have time, you know. It's like O'Brien got one line of dialogue about Keiko leaving. And I get that really that's just about the actor availability. Yeah. yeah. And you're just explaining it. Uh, but, you know. I mean, I'd rather. Uh, wa- I would do I, much do I rather. Want have, yeah, I would have much rather have watched Keiko and Miles talk, like Say see goodbye. their goodbye. Like that would have been way more heart wrenching. Well, yeah, there's characters we care about, and there's actually a kid involved. You know, two kids at this point. Yeah. You know, have a kid cry because daddy's leaving. You know. Or you're leaving and daddy's not, but I, I take your point. Yeah, yeah, that's drama, right? And here we have unveiled the defenses. Yeah. We spent money in this bit for Way of the Warrior, and damn it, we're getting our money's worth. <laughs> I like this line, too. This line always tickles me. Oh, I like me. this a lot. Yeah. like I, I like this nod to the mushiness of, of real politics and war. And, like, uh, at the time, it made me think of... Um, uh, Guantanamo. Like yeah, I not see that. not li- n- not in like some sort of literal. I don't think that's what they were invoking. Just that sense of like, well, we're here and we're gonna stay here, and that's and nods yeah. and winks and even though we it. should by all rights give this thing up, yeah, we're not going to. Yeah, and the even world. Though we're the good guys. Right. We're gonna do and a bad the world will thing. keep right on turning. Um. Okay. So special effects. Uh, I like the way the fleet looks when it's flying. They've done a good job of subtly varying the speeds of ships and the scale of ships so that it, it doesn't look cheesy. Yeah. Have uh, they used these headsets? No, no. Before? Eventually, um, they're going to replace them with the Google Glass ones, and those yeah. are much better. <laughs> yeah. It's just like... Yeah, like the shoulder, the shoulder thing is kind of yeah. That's not easier than a view screen, people. That is not the Google Glass ones. That's fine. That's that's fine, but not this. Um, I love the design of the battleship, of like the Dominion battleship or heavy cruiser, whatever it is. That flagship is really cool. Uh, Mark and Lamo just uh, Lamo did an amazing, just did, did such a great job. It it has to be hard to act in like that kind of separate space like you know you're not really involved with the episode there's not really someone you're playing against but he just okay so speaking of effects i i hate these explosions they just suck they suck the ones on the station suck the ships blowing up at a distance i don't mind them like the the ones that one is okay with the warp nacelle yeah yeah the explosions on the station it's like if you could possibly make it less apparent that there's any real danger I don't know if you could. Right, because there's no physical damage to the station. And I'll say... It's like everybody target this portion of the station, right? And then it doesn't look like anything yet. Is no piece going to break off? Yeah, I I will say um, for the ships, if we're going to do the explosion behind which the ship blinks out of existence, these are certainly the best realized of that because the gas particle effect is one of the better achieved to date. Well... Yeah, so basically, I mean, it's like I really applaud the ambition 
of having this many ships moving and they did the motion oh quite that well. the, yeah the over the shot over the station was awesome yeah it's gorgeous uh it's just not as good as i know it's going to eventual get. versions yeah. of these kinds of shots will yeah. be and it's be, it's because of money yeah you know if they really could bash enough kits you know it would look fucking awesome yeah yeah right i just watched all good things and you know there's a perfect case of when you only have one or two ships on a screen, you can really yeah. do a kick-ass oh, explosion. I, I watched it. Did you, like, pause it and cry a little when the Pasteur came on screen? <laughs> it was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, Dax. Who says that? Nobody says that. No one, yeah. No one's ever said that. In fact, most people have just said, why are there Klingons here? I don't want them here. Concentrate your firepower on section 17. Yeah, like, it, it, there's just no visible damage, and it's weird. It's weird. But it's like, where, what is the fire coming from? That was a reuse of the runabout explosion cut and pasted onto a Dominion ship. I mean, the ships blowing up make sense. They contain atmospheres that are being exploded. I don't know why there's, like, fire on the... How do phasers create fire in a vacuum when there's no visible damage on the ship itself? It just doesn't make sense. And so what are they supposed to do? I mean, do, do you feel like they're trying to kowtow to a certain visual language how so well explosions are supposed to be fiery yeah i get that like an actual explosion in space would look so dramatically different and probably undramatic in a way yeah maybe i'm thinking of maybe like the way they made the antimatter yeah explosions look in best of both worlds like some kind of sparking arcing sort of energy you know but no fire per se Yeah, Casey Biggs is doing the most he can with the five lines he's been given. Yeah, I'm... uh, Okay. I understand... And so, abandoning the station. Cool. I mean, mean, from, from from a dramatic standpoint, it is really interesting. Like, I want to know, like, oh my god, what is going to happen? That being said... I have. Oh, did you ever worry that they weren't going to get back to DS9 on a show called DS9? No, no. I mean, I'm, I'm actually, and I'll get to this when we start talking about season six in a few months. I was thrilled with the balls of keeping them off the station for like six whole episodes. Yeah. Like, I thought they were going to get back in the season premiere. Yeah, I agree with that. And so. Season six is probably here's, here's romantic subplot number four. Yeah. Uh, this, this, you know, at the time I liked it well enough because the actors have chemistry, but this kind of presumptive kowtowing to Worf's opinions on relationship status, it, it, it nags me now. Yeah. No, Worf has really been done a disservice by Deep Space Nine. Romantically. Uh, I was watching, yeah. oh gosh, what's it called? The episode with the warp nacelle and the psychic 
photograph. Oh, Eye of the Beholder. I was watching Eye of the Beholder uh, with Esther, uh, who you know. Oh, before I continue with that, um, I love this because it's a sort of an echo of Douglas MacArthur yeah. leaving the yeah. Philippines. Yeah. You know, it's like it's the I shall return moment. So there's just a lot of good, you know, like 20th century political referencing. Yeah. And uh, so the one thing I want to I, I I don't know why, but I like the choice of the temple. Like, I can't decide if that was was it just was it nakedly political? Was it coincidental? There's something there about giving this speech at the Bajoran temple. I just don't. Well, I mean, if the emissary is going to get the Bajoran yeah. people on the station to come, that's where they'd go. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we were watching Eye of the Beholder, and you know I'm not a big fan of Troy Worf, uh, and there's an interesting thing with Troy Worf in that episode, but it's really pretty stark how much cooler and more charming Worf is in TNG versus Deep Space Nine. He became a total dickhead in Deep Space Nine. You know, basically, a, you know, without a whole lot to recommend him at all. Uh, I, I'm really down on the way they've portrayed Worf lately. Uh, and of course, part of it is let Hughes without sin, but there's a lot of little things, you know, just throughout the dialogue that's been written for him. I feel like Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf don't write Worf very well. Hmm. I don't know. How do you, do you agree? <laughs> I certainly agree on the romantic front, and I wouldn't have first time through. Like I knew Warp was being a jerk, but in my immaturity, I would not have acknowledged. I would not have understood the scale of what a jerk he's been. Um, in, in other like more political or combat episodes, I found him to be fine. He's a hard ass, but he's always been a hard ass. I think the problem is Warp's hard acidness used to be placed against the warm, cheery. Oh, Warp. Uh, attitude of I I think part of it is the the way the character works in the two different settings. Like, well, you, you know what it is. What you said right there yeah. just got me thinking. I think in TNG, he knew he was being a little over the top, and so he would often sort of dial it back a little bit when he needed to. Um, in DS Nine, it's like. He's no longer self-reflective enough to know that he's over the top. He's just, he's like a bigot. He's a dick, you know, and that's just the way he is. Love it or leave it, you know? Okay. Anyhow, you're breaking out the canard. Uh, something else. So I, oh, God. I just wish there were more of this stuff with Quark. Yeah. You know, yeah. with his sort of willingness. It almost seems like glee, you know? It's like he doesn't really care about the overall, you know, political situation. He doesn't care who's going to suffer. He has a chance to make profit, and that makes sense for him. Yeah, I, I think he cares a little. Like when the Klingons, well, he were will eventually he, care. Yeah, or like but, when the Klingons were attacking. I think there was like a sense of. Yeah. Um, oh, and the other thing I was thinking, I, I, I'm stuck on how to approach this. I believe the tactical decision that plans on losing the station next to the minefield is a stupid, stupid plan. That being said, history is replete with stupid plans. So I can't decide if I find it a credible action for a federation not ready for the war they just started, which is actually like a great plot when you think about it. 
or am I just annoyed? It's like, I understand you don't have the money to have 50 starships orbiting Deep Space Nine in every shot until the 6th and 7th season when you start doing that. <laughs> but it does, like, the minute they discovered the wormhole, there should have been an admiral at that station with a fleet of ships permanently based there. That That is just the smart call. You yeah. know? Maybe, 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 okay, maybe not just the wormhole, but certainly after the advent of the Dominion, how the hell you don't treat this like the strategic stronghold it is, you know. Well, hell, in the price, in TNG, you know, season three, for fuck's yeah. sake, you know, they went on and on about the administrative overhead and the costs and the military repercussions and, you know, the Barzans aren't enemies to anybody, or not the Barzans, the... the no, uh, oh yeah, the uh, who did he work for? The um, not the Chrysalians, but the other ones. Anyhow, yeah. uh, and so yeah, it's it's just it's clear that there just should be so much more. Yeah, it, it just doesn't make sense that the Federation be like, yeah, well, this little outpost, you know, just kind of do what it feels like. And I like this scene with Kira, you know, on behalf of the Bajoran government, welcome you. Uh, and th this is another, uh, we've certainly, f I've always liked Nana Visitor, but uh, I think uh, this season is unquestionably her best. The, sure. the, the bile she is visibly keeping just at the back <laughs> of her throat. Like, she really could vomit, I think, if she wanted to right now. And just, <laughs> but the way it's, it's not shouty, it's just, it much like, like, the way Jeffrey Combs and Avery Brooks just, you know, ooze that, like, layers under their combativeness. It's just, like, she she's going to kill him. She's thinking about... Look at her face. She's thinking what it would feel like to kill him. And that's all she's thinking when she looks at him. But she's keeping it together because she, she knows her job. My office. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, going back to all this, you know, Earth history, this feels like uh, all those scenes of, you know, Hitler marching through Paris. It just, it, it th this is a place where I think Ron Moore's political bend really serves the show because the moments all feel authentic. And even in place, and even in the places where, you know, we kind of understand, we, we, like, we know which historical event they're probably referencing, it never feels so cheap as like a one-to-one. -one yeah, it's not too on the nose. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And that's the beauty of the sci-fi, you know, sort of setting. Love the baseball. Yeah. Terrific note. Yeah. And I like the way that Mark Alamo, Alamo uh, he doesn't grip it like a human would grip a baseball. You know, it's like this foreign object. Right, right. It's you see artist. what I'm saying? Yeah, no, yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't instinctively grip it like you were going to pitch it. He's not going to throw a two-seamer. Yeah. You know? Like, this object doesn't mean anything to him. Yeah, beyond its connection to Cisco. How do you feel about Jake? I mean, that, that's another sort of setup thing, right? Yeah, yeah. This was a cool shot. This delighted <laughs> me when I was a... Like, I can't wait for the Blu-ray because I want to pause it and, like, check to see what's a ship that I know, what's a kit bash, what's a new one. Um, that would be awesome. Yeah. Okay, so... As season finales go, dear, uh, not as good as Best of Both Worlds. It's not a you know Resistance is futile number it's not one a cliffhanger, and that's the other thing I like that that 
much like I liked uh, season three finales uh, adversary, I like the finales that leave a little wiggle room. I think when you have to pick up the scene in the next minute of the scene, unless you're doing best of both worlds, it's never going to be as good. Yeah, I agree. So uh, as we eventually discover, when we get to season six, not only do we not come back the next day, we come back months down the road and the situation is very different. And they do that, that great establishing shot to mirror the final shot of this one. Um, but yeah, I was just like, ah, shit, I have to wait a whole summer to find out how, what happens next. They they abandoned the station. I disagree with the tactical wisdom, but dramatically speaking, I'm deeply entertained. Um, yeah. No, I, I agree. I think having the ability to skip forward in time gives you the ability to you know, show how dramatically things have changed. And it makes the conflict feel bigger, the war feel longer, it makes it feel like a war. Yeah. Instead of an, an episode. Right, because even the Klingon War, despite lasting some number of episodes, always felt just felt like a, an, a spot event. Well, and the problem, of course, was a problem that does plague many Star Trek shows, and that is the kind of reset button-ish-ness of it all. You know, it's like, oh, this serious thing happened. Next episode, we're going to, you know, go on a runabout and have a fun adventure, you know? Yeah. So to, to, to this story arc's credit, it does last a lot longer before the sort of reset gets hit. Um, I mean, basically it lasts for the rest of the series, but, uh, all right. Well, you know, writing wise, I think it's a mixed bag. I think there are some questionable choices of things that are filling time, and that time could have better been spent on. Um, but the scenes that are good are quite good, you know, like super good. Yeah. Like better than anything that's come prior to this, at least in terms of the overall uh, political story. There have been better scenes, you know, like character scenes. Uh, but this might be the best plot. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Um, and so the scenes that actually served the plot were hella good. The scenes that didn't serve the plot, I'm like, what the fuck? Serve the plot for Christ's sake. Uh, so it was it was frustrating to some degree, but ultimately satisfying. So I'd call the writing a four. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, acting wise, I think there's been there was some great stuff. Actually, uh, I would call yeah. the writing a three. Uh, but acting wise, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Everyone delivered. Um, there was a restraint that I think no one knew in the first season or so. Um, and it really shined. Like uh, Cisco in the scene with Wayun, Kira at the end with Dukat. Everyone, it just, everything was at a like solid simmer. And that's kind of where, that's where you want your cliffhanger. You want me like leaning forward because I know stuff's about to happen. And like even after the main, like the epic event of the episode, the, losing the station, I'm still like on the edge of my seat for things. It's not like the big event was like so big that it feels resolved or impossible. I'm like, oh no, no, stuff's happening. Look, look at look at Kira's face. Look at Kira's face. Stuff will be happening. Like, just yeah. really delivered on uh, on all those scenes. Yeah, I think Avery Brooks was very good. Uh, Jeffrey Combs was characteristically excellent. Uh, 
you know, Andrew Robinson was very good. Mark Alimo was very good. Casey Biggs was good in a small role. Um, you know, maybe those are all the standouts. Uh, you know, Cole Meany, Michael Dorn, uh, Terry Farrell, they didn't get a lot to do, but they were decent. Um, it was a very brief role for Aaron Eisenberg, but he was good in it. Uh, Chase Masterson, not going to say any more. Um, you know, Max Grudenchik was eh, pretty good when he wasn't talking about Lita. <laughs> but when he was talking about Lita, I just uh, couldn't get over it. Uh, Armin Scheimerman was wasted, uh, but we'll get, we'll get to see more of him, thank goodness. Um, I think the acting is between a four and a five. Maybe nothing transcendently great, but certainly a four, a high four. Yeah. Um, Effects-wise, the only real complaint was the impact on the station of the weapons yeah. fire. Everything else I thought worked. I like the the and not not to to, to to bring up a topic we haven't railed against in a while here at Trek to Babel, uh, the J.J. Abrams movies. That's how you stage a large fight action sequence. There yeah, was an arc. a wide angle. Yeah, yeah. There, stuff. Isn't it amazing what a wide angle can do? It can set the stage. You can actually know what's going on. You can see the battle as a progression of a plot instead of a bunch of shit that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that overhead shot with all the ships like moving above and below the station, totally great. Yeah. So um, I, the explosions were kind of lame, but otherwise it was top notch. Uh, you know, some of the best stuff they've done. And the destruction of Ops was really cool. You know, I liked all that. Yeah. Boatloads of extras. I mean, boatloads of extras. You know, the station felt more populated in this episode than probably at any other point. Yeah. In DS9. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, and still there weren't enough. <laughs> there weren't enough civilians. Like, just once I'd like to see a scene on the promenade where there's like a thousand people crammed in. Or a hundred. I mean, just where it's like elbow to asshole people, you know, not like that. All these grand events happen in the promenade and there's like 50 people. I'm like, seriously, can't there be more? Uh, okay. So I think it's four. Yeah, I, I agree. In the balance, I think this is uh, uh, above, well above average. It, 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 yeah, it, it lacks some deeper reach philosophically or morally or science fiction wise well, or what have you it's yeah it's all set up set. it is set up and it sets up what's a pretty awesome six episode arc and a real sea change for for deep space nine so you know i we shouldn't underappreciate uh, the episode for what it does um yeah this and this is just a good episode to watch it is just gripping entertainment i mean yeah the romance side trips don't really work but i would cut 10 minutes out of it but the other 34 minutes are excellent yeah yeah um so uh, it's kind of i guess it's time to talk about uh this season as a whole um it's obviously an improvement if uh, i believe a dramatic one uh numerically speaking um yeah i'll say the 
there were still some stinkers. It was like we would go five or six episodes of you know average to above average, and then just get a like a like a you know let he who is without sin or a Ferengi love songs. It's just they still haven't worked all the bugs out. Their highs are higher and more consistent. They still whiff more often than they should. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that there are just some bad habits that DS9 had gotten into uh, and that haven't been completely exercised just yet. Uh, there was a Loaxana episode in this season, right? Was it this one? Was it? Is this Muse? Does this have... No, that was... That was last season. Okay. Well, that that was a reprehensible show. Uh, okay. So there were some stupid Ferengi episodes. Um, hmm. There were just some episodes where they, they tried to do sort of tonally different things that didn't really work. So, like, The Darkness and the Light, Empak um, Nor... Eh. Like, I, I could really go without watching Impact Noir again, I ever. Li- I like And it. it's not that it's a one. It's not, like, horrible. It's just, like, really? Do I have to watch this? There's something about the atmosphere I enjoy. I found out that the guy who did Empak Noir, um, Brian Fuller, is also the guy who is doing Hannibal, did uh, Pushing Daisies, Dead Like Me, and Wonderfall. So I like a lot of his other work. And I think he gets a pretty uh, significant gig on Voyager. Um, he writes a lot of Voyager that I like, actually. Now, th- there's even things past where it's like, you know, it's like, yes, I want to learn about this period, but not the way you're getting it. Yeah, the there. way they did it, they should have just done a straight, like, not even a flashback, just set it in that time. Yeah. <laughs> well, but then, of course, you don't have the star of the show, I guess. But, um, You know, on the other hand, Rapture was really good. I really like Rapture a lot. Uh, and I, given what has gone before, I would not have thought that. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was prepared for you to hate Rapture. <laughs> well, it's like here's an episode that focuses basically solely on Bajoran religion, and it's all an Avery Brooks acting showcase, <laughs> right? It's like, hmm, you know, and so I expected not to like it, but. It was a it was a great episode. Um, Trials and tribulations felt a little pro forma, but it was very well done. Uh, I mean, the highlights are, coincidentally enough, you know, the Dominion stuff. You know, in Purgatory Shadow by Inferno's Light. You know, stuff where shit was getting real. You know, Apocalypse Rising, right? Yeah. Um, it's just. The Ascent is just not one that I, I ever really care about either. It's um, fun. It's just not earth-shattering. Ferengi Love Songs is horrible. Um, so we liked Soldiers of the Empire. That was pretty decent. Yeah. Children of Time. Great idea. Issue, issues with the execution. Yeah. You know, episodes like Dr. Bashir, I presume, that that's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it 
it's a retcon. It people have to act stupid for things to progress. What what's really the point of introducing this character thread with Doctor Bashir? Uh, I, I okay so. It sounds basically like the criticism on season five is that it's not season six. <laughs> it's like, why can't you be more like season six, right? <laughs> is that fair? I mean, look, it's a transitional season. It's a transition from kind of a long, only rarely broken sea of bleh, you know, into two seasons of like, oh, this was fucking great. You know, and so season season five is like the in between season, and by virtue of that, you know, it's a solid uptick, but it's not as good as we know it's gonna get, yeah. right? Um, I imagine people watching. This was after I had fallen away from the show. You know, I had moved out of my parents' house. I wasn't watching TV as regularly, uh, and so I was catching up on things on VHS tapes after the fact, you know, like, like a year later. Um, I imagine people watching during the run did view it as a solid uptick in quality and were more interested in Deep Space Nine upon, e even without call to arms. Like, let's say it had stopped it in the cards. You know, like they'd be more interested I mean, so you were watching it first run. Yeah, right? I watched I, uh, everything after uh, season six of Next Gen Forward. Um, I watched everything in order, as it aired, except Enterprise, which is what I fell away from. And everyone else, unfortunately. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, I guess given what transpired after, yes, unfortunately. Enterprise deserved it for various reasons. Um, I don't hate it. I certainly like it more than J.J. Abrams' Star Trek, but it's got some serious issues. Um, when I say I fell away, I mean I fell away from DS9. Once Voyager came on the air, I was back. <laughs> uh, although I suppose there must have been periods where I didn't follow Voyager as religiously either. you know. But I, I made sure to watch all the VHS tapes of that. Um, anyhow... So, how old were you when this came out, Kevin? I was born in 82. Uh, uh, or this season? So you were 15? Let's see. Um, 14 and 15? This was 96 and 97. Yeah, yeah. So, Well, no, I would have been uh, 14, because I would have turned uh, 14 when the... 13 like, or, and 14? Yeah, 13 for our first few episodes, and then um, uh, 14 for the rest of the season. So, yeah, like... Yeah, so, you know, early teenager. I suppose at that age, you know, maybe I'm making assumptions here, but I doubt there are many 13 and 14-year-olds, myself included, who view things in the way that you and I are viewing them now. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's I would like to think that in the intervening 20 years um, of my life, I've I've learned and grown as a person. Sure. Yeah, probably at least marginally. Um, what what I mean is, you know, we weren't like thinking about what is this show's place in the franchise. You know, what what kind of dramatic conventions are being well exploited here? You know, like 
as a 13 or 14 year old, I think most of us were like, that was cool. Yeah. That wasn't yeah. cool. I think we were more thoughtful. Uh, we were, you know, maybe a standard yes. deviation above the mean on caring about stuff like ideas and, you know, story. But yeah, like I, like I said, I think what draw what drew me to T-Space 9 and continues to maintain its place in my heart is that it was the, like, sort of dark, gothy, awkward teenage application of Roddenberry's ideas, which was where I was at that point in my life. Like, Babylon 5 was kind of that same thing. It was that same, you know, well, if we all lived together in space, we'd probably just keep trying to kill each other stuff. I will say Babylon 5 did not survive the transition to adulthood. It did not. Um, see, some great me... stuff. Some great stuff. But oof. oof. Uh, this, th- yeah, this just spoke to me. Like, watching them wrestle with actually applying the idea, the ideals that, like, the original series, even more than Next Gen in a lot of ways, just took for granted, was interesting to me. Yeah, I think, you know, what I was getting out of TNG especially was a utopian vision. And it's not that I disliked DS9, it's just that it didn't jazz me up as much with the utopian vision. You know, I was very much a dreamer as a a teenager. And so this didn't sort of like fire my dreams. Voyager had enough of the feel of TNG and some might criticize it for that. Some might say, Oh, it's a retread or something, but, uh, I didn't care, (laughs) you know? Um, and again, I, I will still claim that some of the actors are just not as likable. Some of the characters, maybe not the actors, the characters are just not as likable. Uh, and some would say that this lends itself to drama. They would say that TNG is somewhat sterile or something in terms of, uh, character conflict. Uh, I didn't care. Well, you know, I'll, I'll say <laughs> I didn't it. want what, character conflict. I wanted utopia. Yeah. What appealed to me about Next Gen so much was that sense of friendship and community. Like I, I can, I still get like this, like just a shot of dopamine from watching the crew interact on Next Gen. It's like, oh, these yeah. are my friends. Yeah. Oh, they're my friends. And it's are doing... not. It's not overly saccharine. It's not like it's ridiculous. Right. It's... No. It's just like I want to be in this group of people, which as a lonely, nerdy, closeted. Uh, eating his emotions teen was very nice i think maybe that was it too like next gen scratched the itch of wanting that sense of community d space nine cater to like its inverse of no one gets me and i'm gonna be by myself and write crappy poetry or something (laughs) um like had there been another show that try like and maybe that's why maybe that's part of why i didn't respond to voyager um initially was like I didn't need another show to reproduce the effect of Next Gen for me because I had Next Gen and I just and I was still watching a lot of Next Gen that I hadn't seen yet. Even when Voyager was on, I was still catching up. You know, maybe a se- maybe a season's worth of episodes because you know five nights a week still you, takes a while to get through everything. Um, so I had Next Gen before Voyager. I'm just like, oh no, no, th- th- this is my group of friends. I don't need a new group of friends. Um, maybe so that was it. Where like that same feel was like oh no i'll just i just have i have the original i have this over here but yeah yeah in some ways i feel like voyager it it is kind of in between tng and ds9 uh tonally yeah you know there there is conflict but it's not this kind of conflict you know it's 
It's not as dark. And yeah, it's I mean, not as... I've said for ages, I think I would have enjoyed Voyager more had they more consistently, more often gone for the slightly darker story where it really felt like, like, I think, I just think one too many times for me, the solution was to do things the Starfleet way. Yeah. And I think that, well, some of the better episodes, especially in later seasons are the ones where the Starfleet way just doesn't work. Right. And I think like, I remember like what, like, you know, I've said this before too, but like watching season one of Battlestar Galactica had a lot of the notes. I think season one of Voyager should have had. Like a real sense, like I was just never left with a sense on Voyager that they really, uh, with with a handful of well executed exceptions, that they really were far away from home, and that it really was just them. Like that, they they avoided like changing things because of their because they you know yeah that because it yeah. had to be syndicated and it had to be basically the same show on episode one hundred as it was on episode one. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think they did a good job on the emotional side, but they didn't do a very good job on the plot side, you know? Yeah. And so there are plenty of instances where characters were sad, where characters were wistful, longing, you know, especially Kate Mulgrew's performance of Janeway, you know, really good. Yeah. Uh, But you're right. You know, there weren't the sort of lasting effects plot wise that you would expect of a scenario like that. Um, okay, so Deep Space Nine, season five, yeah, you know, I peg it as a transitional season. I know how good it's going to get, and it shows extended flashes, broken up by really crappy episodes, uh, in this season. And so overall, it's a, you know, it's a very nice improvement. It's definitely been the most fun season to watch so far, if you ask me. Yeah, I was just looking over uh, the previous numbers. Um, it looks like we're uh, season four got a meaningfully higher numerical rank, but in my head, five is better than four. And I don't know. I'm 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 gonna go before we sit down to write the written review for this. I'm gonna go back and think about that. Why do I like season? Why did we like season four so much? Like point three points of more than season five, hmm. but we like season. Both of us like season five in our head more. Hmm. Interesting. So that includes the eight we've just given yes unless unless i did something wrong which i'm not saying is impossible it's uh it's been a long All week. right but even with that eight, it, we would still have liked season four better yeah six three six point three is how season five shook out and six point six four is uh season four well i mean i guess season five was just really inconsistent yeah there were really high highs you know what it is? But... season five doesn't have a 10 hmm. yeah interesting Okay, so on that optimistic, if not entirely consistent note, a description that kind of, I think, applies to uh, the assessment of Season 5, um, uh, I think uh, I think that's it for us here. Um, we're going to be diving into Season what of Voyager? Season 3? Three? 3. 3. Season 3. Okay. Which a lot of people dislike, but I don't. Well, well, <laughs> and I, you know, as the resident Voyager apologist, I guess the, that's what you would expect of me. But yeah, well, what's the opposite of a devil's advocate? Um, well, that's the apologist, right? Yeah. Um, uh, all right, so um, all right, that would just be the advocate, right? Yeah, ad- advocating yeah. for sainthood. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, hopefully, we'll be on a. We're going to be able to return to a 
a more consistent schedule. I know Matt's done grading, and I'm off work soon for about two weeks, so hopefully we'll be able to uh, get back onto a clip uh, yeah, in the next yeah. season. Cause sorry, I, it, it, all five of you fans who care about this kind yeah. of thing, you know, sorry about the extended uh, hiatus in between episodes. Uh, that's the plural of hiatus, I believe. Um, Hi- hiatusodes know. like octopodes. Uh, but yeah, it it'll it'll get better. Yeah, and because uh, we enjoy doing this, I think uh, at least as I would like to think as least as much as uh, anyone who is reading it enjoys reading it. And I certainly enjoy having a scheduled time two to three times a week where I sit down and talk about my favorite thing with someone who's also his favorite thing. You know, it's it's like always sports season for a Star Trek fan. But much better than sports. Oh, totally. There's, there's uniforms, but, you know, yeah. better storylines. Absolutely. And no steroids. My, my, child, mm. my childhood heroes are unblemished. Well, Dr. Bashir, I don't know. Yeah. That's genetic engineering, yeah. I suppose. But then, of course, he was never one of your childhood heroes. True. True. Captain Picard has never been hauled before Congress and asked about things. Yeah. Okay. Well, have a good night, everybody. Come see the Deep Space Nine season wrap-up post where we go into further detail. And be here for Voyager Season 3. Oh, Basics Part 2. I just realized that. That's going to be fun. Yeah, it's interesting uh, that both series ended up with the abandonment of the major set piece does that work out is it season did season three air with season five or after season five like did was it three and five or three and six because we started with deep space nine because i think season three would have run parallel of the season of deep space nine we just did let's see Voyager season two ends. Why would you send me to the article about the Skybox card set? Ah, the internet. This is just a memory alpha issue. And I guess we shouldn't be too hard on it. I mean... Is a love, it is a lovely free resource and a great way to waste time. Uh, if you ever yes. need like a, a minute at work going down that rabbit hole, totally worth it. All right. So season two ends in May of 1996. Season five begins in September of 1996. And so we're going to pick up season three also in September. Right. So we, we will be going back a year. So like uh, at the start of Apocalypse Rising is when the season of Voyager we're about to be reviewing. Well, so there you go. Voyager did it first. Yeah. Suck it, Internet. Voyager uh, I, was original. I, 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 don't, <laughs> I, I don't think the Internet will be doing that, but we'll, we'll see. We'll be reviewing it. We'll be comparing and contrasting and having thoughts and feelings. So uh, have a good night, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> bye-bye.